Southern California, getting the tools and confidence you need to make informed retirement decisions, it requires a little more than listening to Your Money, Your Wealth. There are plenty of opportunities for you to learn from our team in person at our two-day retirement courses or at our free monthly Lunch and Learn events. All of our classes are designed to give you the information you need to help you plan for a successful retirement in spite of market volatility. For dates, times, and locations for our Lunch and Learn events and retirement classes in San Diego, Orange County, or Los Angeles, just visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257. That's 888-994-6257. When we talk about people living to 90, it's pretty naive to think that a four-year college degree could service for a 40 or 50-year career. We've got to update our education along the way. And it doesn't necessarily mean going back and getting a whole other degree, but at least look into continuing education programs that can help not only keep your skills up to date, but build networks and learn what's going on in the marketplace. That's Katherine Collinson, CEO and President of the Transamerica Institute and its Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, she explains how continuing education and five other actions can help you prepare for the retirement you dream of rather than the retirement that nightmares are made of. Another one of those actions is to create a budget, and Big Al's got a list of 10 reasons why people don't. Plus, the fellows cover the best states in which to retire, and they answer yet another question about Donald Trump's new tax law as it relates to the sale of a primary residence. Capital gains, regular taxes, listen and find out. But first, somebody please help Joe listen to his podcasts. Here they are, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. I'm having a really tough time with the update with the iPhone podcast app. Really? Is it not working right? Do you use it? Yes. It used to work awesome. That's I push, play, and then if I'm in my car, I can yeah. go fast forward. And right. Now it's it's I, a mess. So, Someone so. help me. F- I, I need a, a manual <laughs> because it's I have well, to they, go to the phone, and then, it, uh, then I hit, okay, fast forward. I get done with one podcast, and then all of a sudden it randomly plays this other one that I didn't want to hear, and I thought I deleted it, and it stays. And then there's a difference between whether it's downloaded on your phone or whether it's part of the cloud. I, I've, I've had trouble with that. They did change the app, and, and I've actually listened to more books on tape recently, so I'm probably not the best person to ask. But I used to get certain podcasts that showed right up, and now they don't always seem to show up. So I guess I would second that, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. You could go in order as as they download it on my phone. It's like okay, well, I'm going to listen to this, and then next I, in I the queue happened, is going to go to this show. I think show, what happens next... now is they when you play one, it just keeps in in that show, right? Yeah, instead of going to other shows you want to listen to. If anyone knows how to work the thing, <laughs> can you please email me, Joe Anderson at purefinancial.com. And another thing, you know, like what we do on this show, we talk about finances. Yeah, sometimes, right. Yeah, well, other times it's just a bunch of BS. About podcasts. And then sometimes we'll say, all right, well, you know, if you'd like to, you know, need some help with this, you know, call this number, we come in and help you out. Yeah. I would say most people need some sort of financial guidance. Some people need a little, some people need a lot, and some people are in between. And I I would say a lot of times people that, that need help, Will not ever, you know, and I don't blame you to, to call a show like this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but, talk, you know, to, talk to these yahoos. Yeah, right. Or any financial professional for that matter, because it is so uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, just, I am going through a process. I am going to Minnesota in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be like one degrees, and I'm really not excited to go. And the reason why I'm going is that Ruthie, my mother, right? 
built her a nice little home in a 55 plus community so she can hang out and play cribbage with some friends. Right. And so we close on her home on Monday, right? And so I'm going through the loan process. When's the last time you got a loan, Al? Oh boy. Probably six, seven years ago. It is the worst process anyone could ever go through. Really? Do you enjoy that? (laughs) No. Well, because before the closing, you got to sign all those papers. I don't mind signing papers. I do. That takes an hour and a half. So here's what I don't like. I mean, I could just pay cash for this. I mean, it's not an expensive home. Wow, you've got a big wallet. Oh, no, it's, pay cash it's Minnesota. For... It's in the farmland. It's like it's, it's twenty dollars. Eight dollars. It's not a big deal. So you know, you go through it, and so it's like, okay, well, how are you going to fund the down payment? I was like, well, it's in my checking account. Well, how much do you got in your checking account? And I tell them, yeah. you know, yeah. Well, do you have any other assets? Sure, you know, here's my retirement account. Well, do you have anything else? I was like, yeah, here. Well, I got a brokerage account. Well, yeah. how much money's in that? And I tell him, I think it's a pretty good number, right? And he's like, well, you got anything else? It's not enough. <laughs> I'm not buying the Taj Mahal. <laughs> it's a hundred fifty thousand dollar home. Anyway, mm. so I, I'm going well, through that process. So you I know, thought I would spe- share that with you. Al. Speaking of Minnesota, and so I think that's why people don't necessarily want to come and open up their laundry with you know a well, financial advisor. It's, uh, it's 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 private. It's I was going to say personal. It's private. Number one. Number two is, is some people are are they're embarrassed. Maybe they haven't done quite as much as they thought they should have done, and they don't want to admit that. I, and I totally get that. I mean, when you go to the doctor, have you been eating chocolate? No, no. Yeah. Drinking beer? Uh, yeah. How many alcoholic beverages do you have a week? Ah, oh, a maybe, week? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe like two a month. <laughs> of course, lights. That's it. <laughs> One every well, other Friday. I will tell you, this might be surprising to you, but uh, this is um, Wallet Hub. It came out with the best states to retire, and I'm not going to go through it. But uh, Minnesota ranked number 11 in the best states to retire. And believe it or not, and they have different rankings, quality of life rank... Number one. Really? Number one. Huh. And healthcare rank, number one. Wow. Well, you got the Mayo Clinic. Yeah. So affordability, 42. I, I didn't know it was that expensive then. I, maybe it, I think they did it of affordability of cost compared to income. I think that's probably how they did it. I have no idea who but, did that. But that is, but I, it's if, a great think, place to be from. I think, I, no, I think you need to retire there. It's you you number, just want to num- get rid of me, brother. Number one. <laughs> How could you beat number one? Yeah. I mean, uh, California, well, that California's pretty good, number three in right. quality of life. But affordability, 37. Healthcare, 16. <laughs> but you want to live in negative <laughs> below zero where you just stay that, That's what's so crazy about these things. And I, and I looked at, so what does quality of life mean? I don't know. That means you're sitting in a basement drinking so, Paps Blue so Ribbon. So here's, their, here's their, the things that they ranked. Share a population over 65. Oh, hang out with some people. elderly friendly labor market. Very friendly. Yep. Minnesota nice is what Elder, they call it. Elderly food insecurity rate. What's the chance of you not having enough food? Access to public transportation. Very good. It's very good. <laughs> Scenic byways. Yeah, you can. Museums per capita, theaters, golf courses. Yeah, but you can only play golf like four rounds. I know. So they, The entire year. So they also have mildness of weather. They say double weight. I think you should weight that 10 times. I think that's the most <laughs> important factor. I think so too. Of course, I'm a Californian right. and maybe I'm biased, but I, to me, you could tell me, and let's see, the, the top, so the top place is Florida and then Colorado. I get those two, but number three, South Dakota. You want to retire in South Dakota? That's number three. Well, you, there's wall drug. 
You got Waldrog. I mean, you got no, no offense to people from South Dakota. You got the Badlands. Great, it's a great state. But do I want Mount Rushmore? Do I want? Do I want to retire? Look, kids. I, I Big saw, Ben. I, Parliament. I go. I drive by Mount Rushmore. There it is. There it is. Good bucket list done. <laughs> done. Take a picture. Anyway, I just you know those kind of lists are kind of crazy, but yeah, I've been to South Dakota once. My my brother in law is from North Dakota. Oh, he's from a North. Really? North Dakota. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you can tell he's from North Dakota. Are you interested in the uh, least desirable states to retire to, just so you don't make this mistake? No, I'm not. <laughs> the worst one is Kentucky. Really? Yeah. I like the yeah. bluegrass state. I Quality of life, Fort, Fort number 47, healthcare 47, affordability 38. Hmm. 49 is New Jersey. Okay. 48's Rhode Island. 47's Mississippi. And 46 is Arkansas, because uh, they're 50th in quality of life and 45th in healthcare. Hmm. In the coming weeks on Your Money, Your Wealth, we'll learn to trick our brains into making better money decisions. We'll talk to a broke millennial who got her financial life together. And as always, Joe and Big Al will show off their sparkling personalities, as well as their encyclopedic knowledge of taxes, investing, and retirement. Visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com to subscribe to the podcast. New episodes will download right to your device for you to listen to whenever you want. While you're at YourMoneyYourWealth.com, catch up on our recent discussion of market volatility. Learn how to retire well before the age of 50 and learn the basics of cryptocurrency. If you don't have time to listen, transcripts are available for every podcast in the last year. And my fingers are really tired from all that typing. So check it all out at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. Alan Clopine. Yes. What do we got on the show today, Bob? We've got Catherine Collinson. She serves as CEO and president of nonprofit Transamerica Institute and its Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Catherine, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Tell us a little bit about your role at Transamerica um, Center for Retirement Studies. Well, we are a nonprofit organization uh, that is dedicated to conducting research and helping educate the public on all of the latest trends and issues that impact people's ability to achieve a financially secure retirement. Where are we standing today? Because it seems like when Al and I go through studies, and we've used your firm several times on a lot of different studies that we've talked about on this show, so it's a real pleasure to have you on. But it seems it's always doom and gloom. You know, is is there any hope in sight here? Well, of course, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't think there was hope in sight. <laughs> um, Good. But your question is, many people, many Americans are not saving enough for retirement. And for a number of reasons. One, the ability to save, but also because people have the potential of living longer than any other time in history. Yeah, I think you uh, you just had a recent uh, study called Wishful Thinking or Within Reach, Three Generations Prepare for Retirement. And didn't you find that about one in seven workers plan to live to age 100 or longer? Yes, we did. One in seven to live to 100. And the median age at which people plan to live is 90. So that's still, uh, if one's thinking about retiring at 65, that's a long retirement. Yeah. Um, and the gerontologists will tell you that people potentially have uh, can live even longer than 100. You know, I was reading a study, or uh, it was an advisor. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Al, but he was going, he, he was talking at a financial advisor conference, and he's saying all of you advisors are doing this wrong because you need to plan for your clients to live to 120 at least. You think that's a little aggressive? 
well, um, <laughs> to, I think it's a really interesting question and one that we should ask. I don't know that the medical community is <laughs> right there saying plan for 120, um, but the nice thing about that or that challenge is it requires that we all think out of the box in terms of not only how we plan for retirement, but how we plan for our lives, how we plan for financial security, and how we anticipate that there's going to be change along the way. So why don't we dive in? So we we know that, uh, particularly here in Southern California where we're doing this podcast, cost of living is high, and people are trying to save for retirement, but then they're also trying to pay off debt, and how do you balance those priorities? Oh, that is so hard, and we see this in the survey. In fact, we asked survey respondents um, what their current financial priorities are right now, and we found that a higher percentage cited paying off some form of debt than saving for retirement, which is really scary. It's hard enough to save for retirement all by itself, uh, but when you think of it in the context of having to pay off debt, especially if there's high interest rate consumer debt involved, um, that makes the tall retirement savings mountain that much taller to climb. And one of the things that is so important that people do is really understand their personal balance sheet, their assets, their debts, um, their equity, and especially if there's high interest rate debt involved, um, uh, that can be a downward spiral, a financial downward spiral, and to find a way to get it paid off as quickly as possible. But but how do people do that? Because they get into s- cycles, right? Where they they had a um, some something went wrong with their car, or some medical expense, or they bought a home, so they had to furnish it, and they finally get this thing paid off, and oh, then they had another kid, and they got all these costs, and and then it's just it's just one thing after another, and it, and it seems like they can get to their fifties, and they really haven't saved much. So, what would you recommend would be strategies for a lot of those people that kind of get stuck in that? Yeah, and, and yeah, the best strategy is to to avoid getting into debt in the first place, which people don't want to hear if you're already there. Um, and our our grandparents' generation or my grandparents' generation who lived through the Great Depression will say always live beneath your means, um, but things happen along the way. And one of the things that we've seen in our research is the need for rainy day savings or emergency savings. Um, we saw that almost one in three, or almost three in ten workers have actually taken a loan or early withdrawal from their retirement accounts. And the reasons why typically relate to unforeseen emergencies. Um, And given a lack of emergency savings, they're dipping into the retirement accounts, maybe even incurring taxes and penalties, um, which is counterproductive in the long run. So as we all think about our lives and our budgets, and we all need to have a budget, um, one is much more likely to stay on track with a budget than without a budget. and then to really very meticulously plan expenses, ensure that we do have some rainy day savings. So if the the car goes into the shop or something that um, we're not putting it on a credit card, um, and then from there, being able to make adjustments. Another thing for people to look at is insurance coverages. Uh, sometimes uh, certain types of in- insurance can cover one of those major incidents, um, but only if you have it. 
And so many personal financial planners will say six months pay um, or even more because we saw people were out of work for a long time during the Great Recession. Um, Build up enough that you're comfortable with that you can um, continue to function your household if you do lose your job or do have some unforeseen expense uh, to keep things going that can help avoid getting into debt or at least serious debt. You know, Catherine, another good point with cash reserves or um, emergencies savings is I think we have to look at human capital as well. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, what type of occupation you're in. Um, because if if I'm um, a, a home builder versus maybe a tenured professor, uh, my cash reserve needs or emergency needs are probably going to look a little bit different. Because if, if my income is volatile, if it's boom or bust, um, I probably need a lot more cash on hand versus, you know, someone that has a very steady career income um, and, and so we, we have to dive in maybe a little bit more deeper, too, yes. to each specific need. Yes, and that's a great point. Uh, it, I think it's a, a construction worker or a construction professional uh, versus a college professor, of course, depending on what t- type of uh, uh, courses that they teach in their areas of research. Uh, but um, the ups and downs, you're absolutely right. The peaks and valleys in income and the less predictability also, for construction workers or jobs that involve physical labor, to consider and ensure that you have disability insurance, because certain types of prof- professions, somebody may be more likely to get hurt or be put out of work due to an injury uh, for longer than uh, um, desk jobs. Right. And I think that's always overlooked, because if I'm um, young or in my you know midstream in career, the, the probably the largest asset that I own is my ability to to continue to earn that paycheck. Um, you know, so we insure our home, we insure our car, but a lot of times we don't necessarily properly insure ourselves because I, I guess it's not cheap. Um, but if if they would look, all right, well, if you can't have a paycheck for the next six, eight, nine months, I mean, you see the studies. I think most people can't afford like a four hundred dollar expense or something. I mean, what what are the numbers there? Well, we asked about emergency savings, and what we found is the median amount among workers is five thousand dollars. That means half of the more than six thousand workers that we surveyed have less than five thousand dollars set away for an emergency. So that's that's not all that much, and you know, no, it's a, especially with the cost of car repairs these days, it adds up fast. Right, and if you don't have a paycheck for six months, and you only have five thousand in the bank, it's not going to cut it. it it's not going to cut it. So which should come first, paying off debt or saving for retirement? Jason Thomas CFP has written a blog to help you decide which would be better for your specific situation. Check it out in the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Jason explains the benefits of saving for retirement first versus the perks of paying down debt first, how psychology comes into play, and what any of this has to do with the movies. Pay off debt or save for retirement? Both make for a happier ending, but can doing one before the other be even more helpful? Read the blog and decide for yourself in the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joey Anderson here. I'm a certified financial planner with Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in today. 
uh, talking to a special guest, Catherine Collinson. Uh, she serves as the CEO and president of the nonprofit Transamerica Institute and the Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies. Uh, she's really got a mission uh, to help all of us become more secure financially. Catherine. So what are th- some of the things that we can do? Because I'm looking yeah, here. Yeah, let's talk solutions. Is that baby boomers, <laughs> what, they have saved um, the median um is $164,000 for baby boomers. So those people are approaching retirement. Well, let's just call that 200,000. You know, if you take a 4% withdrawal, that's $8,000 a year. That's not gonna cut it. We don't have enough money sitting in cash. Uh, we have a lot of debt that we're racking up. You know, what are some of the solutions? What are some of the things that we can do uh, to continue to help educate, to say, you, you know, hey, um, I get it that you might be working paycheck to paycheck, but something's gotta give here. Yeah. Well, let's talk about human capital a little bit more, uh, because we see something else in the research that I think is just so vitally important, and that is people are not being proactive enough about keeping their job skills up to date and marketable um, to meet um, to stay in step with the job market and employers' needs. And, and we ask workers, um, that so many are planning to work past 65 or don't plan to retire at all. They just plan to keep on working. Um, however, you have, to, you have to have up-to-date job skills uh, in, in order to be able to accomplish that. Um, and, and I'm old enough myself, I know, that there are jobs that were hot jobs in the 1980s when I graduated from college that just flat out don't exist anymore. Uh, so we've got always got to keep our eye out on the next thing, how we can take our skills and our experience and apply them in new and different ways. And one of the things that people can do is if you work for an employer that offers training programs or educational reimbursement, take advantage. Um, often an employer will offer a training class, people with the best intentions sign up, and then they don't show up. Uh, sign up, show up, and then send a thank you note. Um, Those steps can really help, uh, one, demonstrate to your employer that you're serious about uh, keeping your skills up to date. Um, And then secondly, they can serve you in terms of your marketability. It's also really important to think about Uh, learning new things along the way. Uh, When we talk about even people living to 90, which isn't even 100 or 120, it's pretty naive to think that a four-year college degree could service for a 40 or 50-year career. We've got to update our education along the way. And it doesn't necessarily mean going back and getting a whole other degree. It may for some, but at least look into continuing education programs at local university extension programs, community colleges. There's lots of online classes. There are a lot of great ways to learn new things uh, that can help not only keep your skills up to date, but build networks and learn what's going on in the in the marketplace. So in the study, you quoted um, formulating a written strategy for retirement, which Joe and I would agree is very important. Now, what, what would actually go into a strategy? What are, what are some of the things that people should be thinking about and writing down? Yeah, one of the first things is thinking about your needs and your goals. Um, it's, impart- it's impossible to chart a roadmap if you don't have a destination in mind. Uh, so start with some basic goal setting. And we find that surprisingly few people 
uh, have taken the time to use a retirement calculator to estimate the retirement savings and retirement income needs. And of course, that's something a financial advisor can be extremely helpful uh, with their clients in, uh, in running, crunching the numbers. Um, we also know that many people are going to crunch the numbers and they're going to look at what they've saved to date and they're going to see a shortfall. From that strategy, uh, you know, once you have the goal in mind and do what I call the gap analysis, from there you can chart a course that will get you better on track to achieve your goals. It may mean adjusting your goals um, or it may mean adjusting a number of the assumptions that will take you to the goals, either how much you're saving, how you're investing, how long you plan to work. Um, there are, there are intervene, interventions that can be made along the way. Um, and, and also to, to set some funds aside for living your retirement dreams. One of the things that we see in people who say they have a strategy, they think about Social Security benefits and they think about Medicare. Um, many are not thinking about out-of-pocket health care expenses, and very few are actually thinking about setting funds aside for the things they dream of doing, like traveling. Yeah, you know, I really like your surveys because I think there's a lot of honesty with them. Um, there's other surveys that I have read before, um, and I've been doing this close to 20 years, helping people with their financial lives. Al's been doing it for um, 30 plus years. Can't, 40 can't years. even compute. Yeah, I know. yeah. <laughs> talk about being old. And yeah. You know, and I think people might even get embarrassed or they, in a survey, you know, it's like, all right, well, I'm just going to say what I want to say. Because we know the numbers of what the average balance is, uh, but then it's like, well, 47% of people computed what they needed in retirement. And I saw that study, and I was like, I think that's 0.47. In your study here, it's like, right, 47%, or maybe they computed by guessing. Maybe, but, that's, but they, that's a computation. Yeah, 47% said they guessed. Yeah, yeah they guessed. <laughs> well, yeah, I computed it, but I uh, just kind of guessed at it versus actually putting pen to paper to say, this is what I'm spending, this is what I have, right? Are the numbers going to jive? And I think it's just most people did that simple calculation um, they would probably freak themselves out a little bit and find a way to save a little bit more, don't you think? Uh, it's quite a wake-up call. Um, and in one of my personal theories is that people avoid running the numbers or using a calculator or getting a, an estimate, a formal estimate from a, a financial advisor or professional because they're afraid of what the result's going to be. Right. Almost along the lines of people who haven't gone and gotten a, a physical, physical for right. 10 or 15 years they're afraid to go get their checkup because they're afraid of what the number <laughs> what the results are going to look like right and, um, and the message is you got to get over it yeah. well and the and the sooner you do it the better but even if you're 64 and you want to retire at 66 it's it's never too late to improve your situation right uh, just a few tweaks um, can make that money last a lot longer than people think you know, work of you know two to four more years that stretches out your social security. You're not pulling money from your savings. You're saving more. Your life expectancy potentially shorter. So th th there's there's hope if if people could get the right information. Absolutely, and even doing your homework on housing arrangements and housing situation, um, that is something that again I see in the research, uh, especially um, older people. 
um, who are not married, they could be never married, single, or never married, widowed, or divorced, uh, they're short on savings, they're short on income, and yet they're living alone. And uh, we all didn't necessarily grow up dreaming of having a roommate in retirement, but having a roommate in retirement um, is a lot better than running out of money. Yeah, but I think you also need companionship, too. Um, my mother, uh, she's my, my father died about eight years ago, and I finally, we she moved into a 55-plus community because, you know, all her old neighbors either died or moved, and so she didn't really have any friends. And, you know, you, you have to stay active as well. Um, you know, you could have all the money. I mean, so we're talking about people that don't have a lot of money. Well, you could have all the money in the world, but if you're just sitting around watching Golden Girls, you know, that that would blow you up too. Yeah, you're so right. To have social connections, a support system, um, the benefits are beyond financial. Um, they they extend to quality of life, um, friendship, um, and staying active and involved. Catherine, this has been great. Where Where can people get more information on you and your firm? Uh, please visit us at transamericacenter.org. Um, we publish all of our research on our website, and that's where you can find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at TCR Studies. Well, Catherine, this has been a real pleasure. You're doing a phenomenal service. Um, I wish more people would read your stuff and follow you on Twitter so they can be more educated. Um, and so w one more time, where do they find you again? at www.transamericacenter.org. Transamericacenter.org. Can you retire yet? Do you know how to get retirement ready despite the uncertainties we face with the roller coaster of the market, the rising costs of health care, the future of Social Security, and managing taxes in retirement? Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download our free retirement readiness guide. This guide contains little-known secrets about creating income to last a lifetime and controlling your taxes. It'll help you understand Social Security options and figure out how to adjust your retirement investing strategy. As retirement approaches, Coaches learn seven plays to help you get there comfortably and securely. It won't cost you a thing to download the Retirement Readiness Guide from the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, 10 Reasons People Don't Create a Budget. Today, I'm actually going to do a list by uh, one of our listeners, John Madison, uh, in Virginia. He actually listens to our podcasts on Wednesday mornings when he goes for a jog. And yeah. he's, a, he's a fellow blogger, apparently. Okay. And he wrote, uh, you know, about budgeting. Uh, he wrote about budgeting. Ten reasons people don't create a budget. All right, cool. You, you could probably think of the one, which is I don't want to budget. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> I got so much other thing I'd rather do. Yeah, but I'd rather spend my money. Here's, than here's, budget ten, it. here's ten reasons. Uh, and and by the way, I'll I'll read the start of this. The backbone of a successful personal financial plan is a monthly budget. It's the map. It's the blueprint to financial success. Instead of just reacting to money problems that suddenly pop up, a spending plan prepared in advance tells you where your money goes, squeezes every bit of value out of every dollar. So that's all true. Joe, you and I, in our experience, have with our clients have found that most of them don't like to budget. And so we, we kind of sometimes come up with a simplistic way of budgeting, which is come up with a savings plan first. 
right? And then whatever's left in your checking account, yeah, you can go ahead and spend that. It's kind of a it's kind of a de facto way, I guess, of budgeting. But um, but if you do have the discipline, I, I I think the thing about budgeting is it does it does tell you where your money's going. And people that do it, they end up going through this process, and they they're they're kind of shocked how much they spend on this or that. They had no idea. Right. Yeah, I get motivated in January. Yeah, you know, I got it's all right there. I'm looking at it, and then come February, I'm like, oh man, I'm, yeah. I'm done. Yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? it, but at least if you do it for a month, at least that's better than nothing. But here's ten reasons why people don't create a budget. Budget creates limits. People hear the word budget and they think bread and water, <laughs> rice and beans. That's right. I I don't want that. No way. I don't want to feel like I can't spend what I want to spend money on, and it's of course it's it's understandable. Uh, but he says it's also incorrect if a budget is done in the right way. The negative assumption is is why I try to call it a spending plan instead of a budget plan. This is John Madison writing this. Uh, basically, he's, he's saying it frees you a guilt because you have X number of dollars to spend on entertainment or this or that. And so do it freely, not yeah. worrying about it. No, that's a great point because there's a lot of anxiety when people spend money. Yes. Uh, we see it in our office. People make very good incomes. They don't have a lot saved. They have a little bit of credit card debt, right? They have a big mortgage, and they're pushing the limits. And it's like, well, how much money do you think you're spending? And they come up with these crazy notions that they're spending a lot less <laughs> because true. they're either you know embarrassed, they don't want to admit it, um, and then when they do overspend, I mean, that does create friction within a, a household. It creates anxiety. Um, right. So, no, that's that's a very, very good point. Second one is fear, uh, and this is just simply people, they're scared of it because they don't really want to know how much they're spending on their habits. Yeah, I don't want to know how much I'm spending at the bar. <laughs> that would be a scary <laughs> thing for you. Jeez. <laughs> but that's... Right, and I can I, I understand that, but that's also information that you can utilize, especially here in your 40s and 50s, and you're a little bit behind. It's like a budget is great to show you that, and then it's like, okay, all right, I gotta kind of get a little serious here. Instead of going to Starbucks every day, let me get a coffee maker and, and do it at home. Folgers, yeah, <laughs> instant. <laughs> <laughs> the third thing is budget abuse, uh, and. This is a real thing because sometimes there'll be one spouse, male or female, that, that is in charge of the money, and then the other one isn't, and they feel like the spouse that's in charge of the money is controlling Oh, them. yeah. Yeah. Here's uh, uh, number four is that there's a perception that only poor people need budgets. Oh, that is just... <laughs> I don't need a budget. for poor people. <laughs> no. Al and I have witnessed people that have made over like seven, eight hundred thousand dollars a year, and they need a budget. They need a. <laughs> oh, we don't live high on the hog. Uh, yes, you do. It's that, and, and then they they always say this. We, Joe, Al, we're not lavish. Not lavish at all. I mean, how many times have we heard that word? <laughs> we're not lavish. The fifth thing is uh, fear. The reason why people don't. I'm not. I mean, the reason why people don't create a budget is uh, time we're, and time and effort. Time and effort. Because it takes time. It does. I agree. It's, it it's actually it's excruciating. Not, not, not really that much fun. No. And I'm and I'm an accountant. Yes. I, I don't even like it's it. Your ledger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the sixth thing is lack of know-how. I, I think that's valid. A lot of people have no idea where to start. Right. Right. It's overwhelming. It is. How how should people start? <laughs> I don't budget. Asking, let's, let's call Madison out. <laughs> I would suggest uh, 
at the very least, maybe using uh, Quicken to track your expenses. Yeah, or like Mint.com Mint. 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 or something. So you can start getting a sense of where you're spending your money. and, and uh, Well, I, I mean, old school way would just take your bank statements, yeah. your credit card statements, just start rifling through all of that. Yeah, right. But I think with technology today, with the aggregation sites, it, they kind of take all it of It makes it easier. It makes it a lot easier. Because like Quicken, for example, they'll take, they have multiple checkbooks, multiple credit cards, they'll download all that in one spot, and they'll even suggest what categories they should be in. You might want to change it around a little bit, but it's, uh, it's a lot easier uh, than it used to be. Seventh thing is past failures. They've tried budgeting before, didn't really work out, not for me. We had lots of fights. My, my, my wife and I, or it's my husband and I, yeah, it's not worth it. We didn't. We'd uh, rather die broke. Eighth thing is uh, related is marital fights. Yeah, see, right yeah, there. A lot of spouses don't like to talk about money. I know. That's probably one of the reasons for divorce, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I'm not a marriage counselor, yeah. but I've, I've, I think I've heard that once we, or twice. We, we've seen it a couple times, right? Yep. Ninth thing is uh, numbers are for nerds. They're not for me. I'm not a nerd. I don't need to budget. Right. Well, it, sometimes, you know, people with math and arithmetic aren't not, that's not their specialty. Right. It is interesting that when you say on, in, in, on average, when we see couples, one or the other, husband, wife, wife or husband is, is more the money person and the other person is, is less, uh, it, it seems to be very common. You occasionally see couples where both are numbers people. That, there's a little tension there sometimes. Right. And you also see sometimes when neither one is a number person and it's like, wow, you wonder... I think more often than not, most people that we see, both of them are not necessarily numbers people. That's why they're in our office. <laughs> but, be, it, you know, it's funny. When you see two people that are really analytical, th- one person will always overpower the other one. And then yes. the other one just kind of, <laughs> you can tell. It's like, <laughs> right. A- anyway, um, the uh, but I do think e- even if both people are not necessarily numbers people, one is slightly more than the other. I mean, I, I think there's and it, it's because and when we talk to people about financial planning and numbers, we we make it a point to talk to both husband and wife, and it, it, and sometimes the husband is like, I don't care, this is her stuff, but it's like no, you need to know this, right? And it's it's really important for the for the couples to know it. The the tenth reason people don't do budgets is they really they don't feel like they need one and i think what we talk about is budgets are great but we know a lot of you are not going to do them everyone needs one but if you if if you're just not going to do it at least do this at least come up with your savings plan max out your 401k if you if you still have extra have that some of that extra money go directly to your brokerage account from your your checking account your check your your uh you, you, you get paid. Some of that goes to your 401k. You don't even see it. Then whatever's left hits your bank account, direct deposit. And then the same day, you have a certain amount go to a savings account. And then whatever's left is what you can spend. Have at it. Don't worry about it. Have fun. For even more useful information, visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com to access white papers, articles, webinars, and hundreds of video clips on tax planning, investing, retirement planning, social security, estate planning, small business strategies, and much more. It is a veritable treasure trove of information just waiting for you at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. 
If you need even more help, you can always email us, info at purefinancial.com, or pick up the phone and call us at 888-994-6257. That's 888-994-6257. I got a question. Okay. Uh, this actually was sent to MarketWatch. I think it's a really pretty good question. Uh, this is from Sam in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, due to a transfer, assume oh, a job transfer, I will be selling my home this year. My neighbor says that because I've only lived in it for four years, the new law says I'll have to pay taxes on the sale. Uh, is that a capital gains rate or regular tax rates? He's only lived it um, four years. Four years. Right. So you got to live in the house two. Two. That's correct. Out of five. Two out of five. So it's just. Um, so no, you wouldn't pay any tax at all, depending on the right. The, it's two hundred fifty thousand bucks or five hundred thousand if you're married. Yeah. So there's a few follow-up things to to say and mention, and that is this: the the new tax law, uh, the it was the I believe it was the Senate version of the law, uh, which which had in its as a provision that you would have to live in your home five out of eight years. Uh, to get the exclusion. That did not pass. When it came to the committee and the House bill and the Senate bill were merged together, that was thrown out, which basically means we still have the same law that we've had for the last couple decades, which is this. If you buy a home and you live in it as your principal residence, at the point you sell it, as long as you've lived in that home two out of the last five years. So in this case, it's four out of five. It's actually four out of four. But as long as you lived there two years, if you owned it for two years, you don't have to live in it five. It's just you have to have lived in it two years out of the last five, which which clearly Sam would qualify for that. Now then, the so then like what do you, what does that mean? What do you get? Well, if you're single, you get a two hundred fifty thousand dollar gain exclusion, which means if the if your gain on sale, if you, what you sold it for versus what you bought it for is less than 250000 then you don't pay any tax. It's tax-free. And if you're married, by the way, it's $500,000. But both husband and wife need to have lived in the home two out of five years and have owned the home two out of five years. Because I get this question sometimes as well. I've got a, I've got a $500,000 gain. What if I get married the day before I sell? Well, uh, if if the person that you're going to get married to actually owned the property and lived in it for two out of five years, sure. But if they're just moving in right now, no, they don't They don't qualify. They have to have owned and lived in it two out of the last five years as well. So anyway, so so then you got to look at, well, how do you compute the gain on sale? So let's just say in, in South Carolina, let's say they bought a home for $300,000 and, and sold it for three fifty, just to make up numbers. So, all right, then you have a $50,000 gain. Simple as that, 350 minus 300. So that's a $50,000 gain. He's lived in it four years, which is more than two. And I'm assuming it was his principal residence for the whole time, so there would be no tax to pay in that situation. If, on the other hand, he bought it for 300000 and maybe lived in it uh, 10, 20 years, the thing went up to 700000 So now 700000 Minus three hundred thousand. That's a four hundred thousand dollar gain. He gets a two hundred fifty thousand dollar exclusion. He'd have to pay tax on one fifty, and that's at capital gain rates. And capital gain rates are zero, fifteen, and twenty percent, depending upon how much other income you have. And if you're over two hundred thousand single, then you add the Medicare surtax of three point eight, or the net investment income tax. That's correct. That's exactly right. So, and if you're um, married, that's two hundred fifty. 
thousand right. in terms of adjusted gross income. And so, if you have a large gain like that, um, a lot of times people will hit that net investment income because right. their income might not be two fifty. You know, but they might be making 150, but then they have a large sale of a highly appreciated asset. That's what pushes them yeah. in. So, so in our area, Joe, uh, we'll in San Diego, we'll have people that maybe bought their home in La Jolla 30 years ago for two, three hundred thousand, and now it's worth two or three million. Right. Right. So let's just look at that for a second. So you bought it for two hundred thousand, you sell it for three million. Right. So you got a two point eight million dollar gain. So if you're married, you get a five hundred thousand dollar exclusion, two point eight minus five hundred thousand, but you still have to pay tax, capital gains tax on two point three million dollars, which is uh, you're going to be in the twenty percent capital gain rate. You're going to have that three point eight percent net investment uh, net in- net investment income. Thank you, <laughs> brain freeze. And then you're going to have state taxes, which in California can be as high as thirteen point three percent. So it's a, it's higher than you think, and and in a lot of cases. People end up not selling just because the tax liability seems too great. Uh, something that uh, a lot of people don't still don't seem to realize is husband and wife lived in their home for 30, 40 years. Uh, when, when the first spouse passes, the surviving spouse gets a full step up in basis. So your spouse passes, and now the, the cost basis of the home is no longer 300000 it's $3 million because we live in a community property state. As long as you're, you've held title as community property, which is the way trusts are, or you can hold it as community property with rights of survivorship if you don't have a trust, then you get a full step up, then you actually can sell. And uh, I, I, just, I just talked to a client yesterday, Joe, that really had no idea. Heard, has heard step up in basis, but it never really registered. And they're in now in a situation where, where one of them is actually not doing well. And so the other one will get a full step up in basis. So realize that when it comes to... So did you say, oh, I'm sorry about your wife, but the good news is... <laughs> well, you try to be tactful. No tax! Try to be tactful. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's important, as, particularly as we get older. We know we're, we're not going to live forever. So... I, I would hate for someone in their 80s to make a mistake by selling a home when maybe in a few years there would have been a full step up in basis for either the survivor or the kids or whoever whoever in, ends up inheriting that asset. Uh, that's it for us today. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. For Big Al Clopin, I'm Joe Anderson. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. We'll see you next week. So to recap today's show, the new tax law did not change how primary residences are taxed when they're sold, so the two out of the last five rule still applies. We all have a long list of reasons we don't want to make a budget, but when it comes down to it, we really should because it can prepare us for a better retirement. Having a written strategy can make a big difference. And what would make a big difference right now in Joe Anderson's life would be for the podcast app on his iPhone to work just like it used to. Special thanks to our guest, Katherine Collinson, from the Transamerica Institute and its Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies. Learn more about workers' retirement goals, plans, and mistakes in America and abroad at transamericacenter.org. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, if you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer live on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth, presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit Pure Financial 
purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.